afternoon. Some odd reason Kevin's let me out of Sunday school. Well, I'm so used to just teaching all your kids, so it's a bit weird for me. Especially remembering that I haven't got a craft or colouring sheet to give you all afterwards. Sorry, folks. Maybe next time. So, today we'll be looking at Psalm 91. I know, it is a good one. It's been said by Charles Spurgeon that in the whole collection, where it's not a more cheering psalm, its tone is elevated and sustained throughout. Faith is at its best and speaks nobly. So, Psalm 91. These days, safety is a big word. Some say that safety's probably gone a bit too far and that it prevents work from being started or happening because of fears and concerns over safety. But yet, it's a good thing, and it's needed safety. Sometimes at work, I'm required to put safety and control measures in place to make sure that me and others around me are safe whilst working. But yet, those safety and control measures are only as good as what the control measure actually is. So why am I saying this? Because we as Christians, we need safety. We need a spiritual control measure in place to protect us. But protect us from what? Well, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. See, Psalm 91 says safety of abiding in the presence of God. And we need that safety. We need God as our control measure in this darkened world because, as David said earlier, there, are, there is a spiritual battle happening around us. Satan is at work. And that is what Psalm 91 is all about. So let's read Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. 
he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honour him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the truth in your word and we pray. thank you for the comfort uh, and joy that you find in your scriptures, Father. And Father, we, we just pray that as we come and read and study upon, meditate upon your word now, Lord, that your truth will speak to us. And Lord, that we will make you our dwelling place and our abode, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Psalm, first question, who wrote it? It does not say and doesn't give us an answer. Some reckon Moses, because it's very similar to the psalm beforehand, but others would say it's David. But truth be told, it really doesn't matter because, as I said earlier, this is a fantastic psalm. And if you want to be note-taken, this psalm does split into three sections. Section 1 is verses 1 and 2, which talks about the place of our dwelling. It's full of eyes and my. It talks about our abode. Section 2, it says verse 3 to 13, where you simply do not need to fear. And it is full of you and yours. It talks about the benefits of our abode. And the last section is verse 14 to 16, which is God's response. It's God talking to us, our abode responding to us. So, he, he who dwells, Who's the he been talking about here? It's a good question. The he is simply those who have confessed with their mouths that the Lord Jesus and believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead. Romans 10.9. That's Romans 10.9. Paul's definition of what a believer is, a disciple is of Jesus Christ. And the he mentioned here is exactly that. It is those who have confessed with their mouths that Lord Jesus and believe in their heart so though the he here is a child of God, it is me and you. We are the he being mentioned here. So he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Secret place of the Most High. Sounds a bit odd, but strange, secret place. Where could that be? Do you have to know a special handshake to get into a secret place? Or know where the secret doorbell is to ring it? Truth be told, I'd love to be able to tell you about a secret place, but it's too secret for you. Just kidding. <laughs> the secret place is simply the loving arms of our Father. Let's break it down. What does it say? The secret place of the Most High. Who is the Most High? It's only God Himself because there is no one else who is higher than God. So God is, be by default, the Most High. So, and the secret place must be Him Himself. about abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. Why the shadow of the Almighty? Well, unlike Wales, maybe today, but unlike Wales where it's mainly cloudy and rainy, some places where it's actually hot, the sun can beat down on you. It can make you die of thirst and suck the life out of you, especially in places like where you're from, Lancaster, where it feels like an oven-filled fan-assisted oven, where the heat's just so intense, beating down on you. 
and before the days of aircon, shade or shadow would be something what you look for. Because it would give you that relief and almost like a defense from the beaten sun beating down on you. And this idea of God being our shadow is not the only place mentioned here. In Psalm 36, verse 7, it says, How precious is your love and kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Psalm 57, verse 1, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. God's shadow is a wonderful place. It's a place of love, mercy, refuge, and trust. And then as well as that, to be in someone's shadow, you've got to be close to them as well. You can't be under that shadow if you're far away. You have to be close in that shadow. She knows what it says. He who dwells and he shall abide. Dwell and abide. The word dwell literally means settled permanently, permanent living place. By extension, it could relate to marriage where two come and permanently live together in unison. So we are settled permanently in the secret place of the Most High, permanently abiding in God's love and arms. The Bible even says that God is Emmanuel, God with us. It reminds me of Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. It says, be strong and good courage. Do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He goes with us. He's always with us. He's omnipresent. And here on the earth, he is with us. And when we go to heaven, we'll be with him, but face to face, just like we are face to face. We dwell with him, both here on earth and in heaven. What about abide? Abiding under the shadow. I had, when I looked up this word, I had to double take because abide is actually temporary. It's actually more like spending the night, which is odd. Why would we permanently dwell, but yet temporarily spend the night? But if you think about it, here on earth, we need that protective shadow. We need that defense of that shadow to be under his wing because we are in a spiritual battle here on earth. But yet one day, when we go to dwell permanently with the Lord in heaven, there will be no battle. The victory will be complete. So whilst we're on her here on earth, we need that shadow. We need to abide in that shadow and look forward to our permanent dwelling place in heaven. So he who dwells in a secret place of most high shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. And he is our refuge, a place of shelter and place of hope. In desperate times of needs, when it feels like our situations are hopeless, the Lord is there for us as our refuge and our fortress. And why a fortress? Fortress, if anyone has seen Lord of the Rings, you know what a fortress is. You've seen Hounds Deep, where a big, big fortress built into the bottom of a foot of a mountain, where the, I believe it's Rohan, 
the guys with the horses, they gave their for their last stand against the enemy. Where it's got its big walls and strong doors and the deep caves where we all hide in. But yet, the fortress where it failed. Where did that one fail? It's man-made. Belshazzar in the book of Daniel. He was convinced that his fortress of Babylon will hold forever, even when the media Persians were knocking at the door, ready to attack him. What did he do? He held a great big feast, got out all the articles for the gold and silver from the temple of God, saying, hey, we're okay. We're secure in our fortress. But yet, what does it say happened in that Bible? It says that very night, Belshazzar fell, because his fortress was just rock and stone. But yet, as God is our fortress... Yahweh himself, as our fortress, who can attack him? It's Romans 8, verse 31 says, What shall we say then to his fins? If God is for us, who can be against us? And the answer is no one. So as the Lord, as Yahweh, as our fortress, who can attack him? Who can attack Yahweh's walls? Who can attack his towers? Who can break down his door? No one. No one can oppose or defeat God. So why would you not trust in such a mighty fortress? Sadly, here on earth, we too tend to put our trust in things we can see and touch. How we need to trust in Lord with all our hearts. Make him our strong fortress. And we so desperately need God to be our fortress because of what's coming next in verse 3. It says, Surely he shall deliver you, the Lord will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. So, I'm sure you all know what a fowler is. My good friend Google helped me out with this one. Fowler is basically before the days of the double barrel shotgun where you just simply shoot a bird out of the sky and take it home and have it for your lunch. A fowler is a guy you would call around to come and plant his trap and bait. And he would actually entice the birds to come and swoop down with the bait and get trapped in his snare so that then you can enjoy your succulent, tender pheasant or partridge or whatever bird it is you wanted. So, who is the fowler for us? The fowler is simply Satan. Satan is our fowler. He is the one who wants to ensnare us. He is the one who wants to destroy us and entrap us. But yet, as God is our fortress, he cannot prevail, the Lord God. Spurgeon wrote this about us being the birds, what the fowler here wants to catch. He says, we are foolish and weak as poor little birds and are very apt to be lured to our destruction by cunning foes. But if we dwell near to God, he will see to it that the most skillful deceiver shall not entrap us. We shall not be entrapped by any snare of the fowler. Why? Because he who dwells in his secret place on most high shall abide under the shadows of the Almighty. And I will say, the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. In verse 4, he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his rings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. 
Amen. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Not even a foul and his fallen angels. And whilst we're talking about the fowler and his fallen angels, gotta remember that Satan is nothing more than a created being. God created Satan and his angels. And when they were first created, they were perfect, but they fell pride. And thinking about the fact that they are just a created angel. It reminds me of what Isaiah 45 verse 9 said about the creator and creation. It says, Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, a piece of pottery among the other earthenware, pottery pieces. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thin you are making say, he has no hands. So basically it's saying that the thin that's created can't say anything against the one who's creating it. It's nothing, it's just piece of lump of clay and if you're potter like me and Dave Farnham were and Michelle all those years ago you, if you have a lump of clay in your hands that lump of clay is subject to your hands it does whatever you will it to do you mould it you shape it and Satan is that lump of clay in God's hands he is bound by the word of God as we saw in the book of Job God said to Satan you can strike Job but you can't straight take his health away. So Satan took everything away from Job, apart from his health. Then Satan came along a bit later, and what did God say again? You can attack his health, but you can't take his life. There, Job, Satan, he took away his health, gave him boils, but yet he could not take away Job's life because Satan was bound by the word of God. There is safety, deliverance, refuge, protection found in God and his word. Question is this, where's your dwelling place? Where are you abiding? Are you abiding under the shadow of the Almighty? Because when we read verses 3 to 6, we see that there are many things that we need deliverance from. It says, Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. So does Psalm 91 mean that Christians will never suffer? That's the question. Does it mean that Christians, born-again believers, will never get sick and disease and die from it? Does it mean that Christians, born-again believers, will never die at the hand of their enemies? Does it mean that we Christians will never have fear or terror? It certainly seems that way, according to this. But yet, if you think about it, it's not quite true. Let's take disease, for example. What's the worst disease you can think of today? The one coming to my mind is cancer. Does it mean this past year that true believers of Christ will never die from cancer? My mother's church where I spent my teenage years, two God-fearing people fell asleep from it. In our very 
congregation here, in the years I've been here, five members have sadly fallen asleep from cancer. I know for a fact that some of you have got God-fearing family and friends who passed away from cancer as well. Job had boils on his skin. Paphiades, uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 57 to 27, who was a Jewish believer, a fellow worker of Paul, and Paul called him a fellow soldier. He was sick even to the point of death. Godly men in the Bible got very sick to the point of death. So what is Psalm 91 talking about? If it means that from the perilous pestilence, and from the pestilence that walks in darkness. How about terror at night? Has anyone in the Bible had terror? Paul sure did. He fled in the darkness of night from the city of Damascus, fearing for his very life. He fled it from basket on the wall, lower down. How about being killed at the hand of the enemies? Few people come to mind. The most famous ones, Nate Satan and Jim Elliot, men who had such a godly heart for reaching the lost, who so wanted desperately to reach those who never heard the gospel before, went to the deepest jungles of Ecuador and went to preach to a tribe there. And as they're reaching them, all of the men lost their lives to the very people that they were trying to save as they were speared to death. So, and even Stephen, sorry, in the uh, book of Acts, he fell at the hands of the very Jews he was trying to save. James, he was beheaded. Paul was beaten repeatedly. What does Psalm 91 mean when it says that you shall not be afraid of the terror of night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noon day? If all these terrible things, if Christians truly do suffer, what does this mean? In context, in verse 3, the snare of the fowler. The fowler, Satan, has many snares. All these snares he will try and attack us with. And sometimes it may feel like that Satan wins and succeeds, but ultimately he has no victory. Satan does not have to win. God's people may be hard-pressed on every side, may be perplexed, may be persecuted, may be struck down. But still, Satan has no victory. And thankfully, I misquoted 2 Corinthians 4, because when you read that ver- these two verses and fallenness, it says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because he who dwells in the secret place of most high shall abide under the shadow of the mighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him I trust, and he shall cover you with his feathers. And under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. God has the victory. Always has, and he always will. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
meaning that we are not fools if we give something up for God, no matter what it may be, materials, jobs, family, freedoms, even life itself. Because nothing in this world we could carry on with us into eternity. But what can we gain that we cannot lose? It's eternal salvation. Eternal salvation. Satan can try his worst, and he does. But we will never lose hope in Christ Jesus, our God. Who is seated at the right hand of the Most High. Who has sealed us with the gift of his Holy Spirit. Our eternal lives are hidden in Christ that's really the point of Psalm 91. It's God is sovereign overall. And Satan, he'll try his best, but yet he is bound by God. He is still clay in God's hands. The question is, is do we abide under the shadow of the Almighty? And if we do, it doesn't mean that we won't suffer but it does mean that we have got God's protection over us. It does mean that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what it means. Dwell in a secret place of the Most High. Abide under the shadow of of the ring of the Almighty. And then we'll see the results of 7-8 come to place, which says, A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your own eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. We will only see the reward of the wicked. We shall not experience the reward of the wicked. We shall only see it if you can call it reward. And why? Because verse 9 and 10, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near you, your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Because you have made the Lord most high your dwelling place, even as angels look out for us, ministering spirits there as our guardian protectors, not because they love us, but because God loves us and has placed them there to protect us. There are his ministering spirits looking over us. Verse 11 and 12 may look a bit familiar to you because these were very verses used by Satan in a vain attempt to tempt Jesus Christ. And if you look at Matthew's account in chapter 4, verse 5 to 6, it says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the principle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan tried to use the idea that in Psalm 91 means that no suffering ever take place because God is protecting us and has got his angels looking over us. But yet what did Jesus say? God shall not be tempted. Yes, the angels are here to protect, but God doesn't need to be tested or tempted. And Satan, this is the whole point, God is our refuge. 
and fortress. And Satan can't touch us unless if God allows it. Because after all, Satan is just that clay in God's hand. Verse 13, you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Lion and a serpent. Where have we heard those words before? 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because the adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Revelation 12 verse 9, so the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and satan who deceives the whole world he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast with him satan is that lion and serpent that we shall trample underfoot why because god is victorious satan is not god is the absolute ruler nothing happens unless he foreknew it and purposed it to happen and that's the truth here in Psalm 91, God is sovereign. Something we could take great care and comfort in that truth. I just love how this beautiful psalm finishes, which is God's response to us. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name, and he shall call upon me. And I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and deliver him and honour him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. God has given us seven promises here. Number one is to deliver us. He will be our deliverer. Deliver us from what? From anything that we need deliverance from. He will be our great deliverer. Number two. He will set us up on high. He will exalt us, it says here. And if you try and set yourself up on high, great will be your fall. Just remember when Jesus shared about the parable of the wedding feast. What did he say? Don't go and sit at the high seat. At least the uh, wedding feast person comes and says, no, take this lower seat. He says, but take the lower seat that you may then be exalted. Let God set you on high exalt you if we call him he will answer us god will answer us he will answer us in our time of need and in difficulty he will be our rock our found fortress and our refuge not only will he deliver us but he will also honor us how gracious is that that he will even honor us in verse six it says that he'll give us long life either here on earth or eternity one way or another, we'll have that long life. And number seven, the greatest promise of all, the promise that he'll show us his salvation and what wonderful salvation that is. The question is, where's our dwelling place? Where do we abide? Is our dwelling place in the most secret place of the Most High? Do we abide under the shadow of the Almighty? Why would you not want God to be that fortress? Your shield and your buckler, the creator of things, the sustainer of all things, the almighty, powerful God. So abide on the shadow of the almighty and dwell in his presence.
Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that you are our mighty fortress and that you are our refuge and that you are our protector, Father. And Father, we know that you are above all things, even Satan himself, and that nothing shall come to us unless if you foreknew it. So, Father, we just pray, may we just trust in you and seek you above all else. And we just commit this week into your hands, knowing that we are safe in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.